As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show and our world famous weekend review. On this episode, we're looking back on a weekend where Liverpool kick-started their season with nine, where Man City went behind, but it ended up fine thanks to the man who leads their line, where Philadelphia scoring six started to become asinine, where Tammy Abraham saved Roma's unbeaten record just in time, and where Bayern Munich tried to score against Jan Sommer, and he said nine. My name is Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who, unlike Richarlison, has never wasted time doing keepy-uppies during a game. Is that right, Taylor Rockwell? It is, because I know the consequences of getting cleared out. I don't need that in my life. Uh, I'm, I'm aging now, Ryan. I can't handle a, a studs-up challenge like that. So no, no keepy-uppies, no juggling for me. Do you think you'd have the chutzpah to do that in the first place, Taylor? I definitely have occasionally with a player who was particularly annoying made the noise that like the high pitch like whoopsie as you meg them. That's always fun, but I have never done the full on keepy uppy. Very well, very well. We should talk about it later, but I don't have such an issue with it because I don't see how no. it's different to keeping the ball by the corner flag for minutes and minutes at a time, but we yep. will get to that later on. Also joining us, Taylor, a man who's excited about the Philadelphia Sixers and he's not talking about the NBA, Joe Lowry. Hello. <laughs> Ryan, that was good. That was very, very good, as was your intro. I'm just distracted by the idea of Taylor Rockwell running towards someone with a ball at his feet, making them and going, whoopsie. That's like a a bone-chilling image, putting myself (laughs) in the shoes of the defender. That is, man, Taylor, that is a savage move. Oh, it's the best. I mean, just saying whoops when somebody like like bites on on the uh, on the move is one so of my favorites. So good, so good. Oh also, why maybe yeah, once or twice I got put into a wall playing indoor. Uh, the also, two things might be related. <laughs> also, also the Philadelphia Union are very good, and we can talk about that later as well. We shall, Joseph. We shall. Joining us to round out our pack, a man who's as giddy as James Sands landing a tackle in Scotland because Adidas have launched some World Cup kits today. <laughs> Graham Rutherford, how excited are you? Oh, very, very excited. I wasn't feeling so good about the World Cup kits that we had seen so far. I think everyone at this point has seen what Puma is churning out for this tournament. Who hurt you, Puma? Who hurt you? Why are you like this? And Nike's uh, shirts so far haven't been great either. But pretty much every Adidas World Cup kit which has been released today 
is lovely. I particularly like the Spain away one and the Mexico away one. Sorry, USMNT fans, don't hate me. I uh, just like the pattern on the Mexico one. I'm going to have to buy them all, I think. Um, it is an excellent talking point for this audio medium, Graham, but I'll also say I like the um, <laughs> the Germany one as well. <laughs> yeah, the Germany one is very good. Japan, both their home and away. Genuinely, there's not, there's not a bad shirt um, amongst them. So Adidas are uh, picking up everyone else's slack, I think. Graham, right. did you see the uh, the Japan reversible jacket? That yes, one looks pretty awesome as well. Oh, I'm going to have to buy everything, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> Japan reversible jacket? Tell me more. I've not seen this. So it's it's like a, a blue track jacket, and then on, on you reverse you reverse it, obviously, as the name suggests, and it's kind of like a, like a white and pink sort of floral mm. pattern. It's very nice. Very nice indeed. One more bit of business before we get to the soccer. There is plenty to cover from this past weekend. Taylor, I refer to your social media networks, yes. uh, where it appears you spent a large chunk of the weekend power washing things, and then you yes. mowed your lawn. I did. Um, I wanted to congratulate you on fully earning the middle class dad badge. Um, <laughs> I need to know, did you celebrate with a Bud Light with Chuck and Nancy next door on your rear deck while wearing jorts, <laughs> New Balance and white socks pulled up to your calves? I mean, if they'd been around, I would have. No, the o- the only outlier would be that everybody else got all of their work done, like you know, at six a.m. the way responsible dads do. Whereas I was not conscious for a few more hours after that one, uh, so I was doing mine mostly in the like midday heat, which is, it turns out, not the best idea when you drink zero water during the day. But power washing, <laughs> very therapeutic, very fun, uh, and and very nice at the end to have an ancient structure in our backyard that now looks like it was. Built slightly more recently than like <laughs> green and slimy the way it maybe was the, before. Ryan, there was a lot of uh, projection in your vision of what an American dad is. There, <laughs> so much oh, projection. Yeah. So Welcome much. to the club is, is what I should have uh, <laughs> suffixed that with. But I will say, Taylor, there is um, a, a great satisfaction from using a power washer. Here we go. Uh, I'm going to say doing the driveway is fantastic until you've done a little bit of it and you see how big your driveway is and you realize how long it's going to take with the power yeah. washer that day. Yeah. yeah, the yeah. I would say the uh, the the giant treehouse that I was power washing this weekend uh, never knew quite how many spiders uh, there were in the general vicinity until that one. And man, they get real big when they're outdoors and have plenty to to feast on. That was <laughs> that was a fun one. So yeah, the size of the structure combined with just copious spiders everywhere, real real fun. Turns out if you show your kids arachnophobia when they're like six years old, it sticks with them. Uh, but I think I had uh, <laughs> what's that like immer- immersion therapy or whatever, where you, like, conflict therapy, where you just have to deal with it over and over again to the point where uh nope still terrified of spiders but it's fine wonderful stuff we're gonna park uh, bart simpson in his treehouse for a second to talk yeah. about the soccer from this past weekend why don't we plenty to talk about across europe Bye. and mls why don't we start off gents with seria uh the main event arguably this weekend there were some other big games but juventus taking on roma this one finishing one apiece tammy abraham with a late header cancelling out dusan vlavic with uh, the greatest free kick ever after two minutes. We can so talk good. about that in a second. Uh, uh, Locatelli having a pretty good goal ruled out for a handball in the build-up too. Uh, Joe, we got both teams here still unbeaten. Roma have now dropped points though. I'm very disappointed that Paolo Dybala, Dybala, Dybala didn't score in this one. I wanted some narrative, but otherwise a good game, Joe. Yeah, I mean, a really entertaining game. That free kick from Vlavic was so good. I don't know if anybody else has this. I have this real appreciation for number nines taking free kicks because I don't generally think of those players as the finesse, long ball kind of strikers. I think of Vlavic as a, I'm going to run in behind that pace. I'm going to find the ball in the box. I'm going to punish you in that space. 
But man, him stepping up to that free kick, it's hit so well with his right foot. It's just a beautiful strike. And again, there's this little extra bonus out of getting a number nine, taking those shots from outside the box. Really nice start to this game. Juve didn't mount like a, a crazy number of attacks as the game wore on. Uh, Roma are getting more talented with some different moves they've been making in the transfer market. And you, you talked about Dybala already. They have more quality this year, I would wager, than they did last year. A nice start we've had for the Serie A season over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, Graham, to build on that point of Roma maybe having more talent than last year, is this a, is this a Mourinho team that could go a bit further or is this a, a fifth place in Europa Conference League kind of deal? They're certainly banking on making the top four this season. So obviously their their headline signing from the summer is uh, Paolo Dybala. Interestingly enough, he's only, I believe, on an initial one-year contract with an option of, of another year. So that says to me that basically he is still in the process of being sold on Roma because Roma didn't finish in the top four. They're not playing in the Champions League la- uh, this season. And so basically he wants to be back at that level. And so if Roma get back to that level, then he will stay. I think in terms of Dybala and his performances so far, it's quite clear that he's not at uh, full fitness yet. Keep in mind that he didn't have a, a full preseason. So it was always likely that he would he would take a little bit of time to, to grow into this team. He was signed quite late and there were some flashes of, of good play in this game. Obviously, he produces the assist with the header back across goal for, for Abraham to score the equaliser for Roma. And I thought that partnership in, in particular has some potential, but it's not fully formed yet. And I don't think this Roma team is fully formed yet. They've recently signed uh, Andrea Bellotti. I have no idea how he gets into this Roma team. Hmm. Maybe Mourinho has signed him for some depth and he's going to be a, a depth option behind Abraham but I also I'm interested to see if Bellotti and Abraham start together with Dybala in behind that but that maybe means pushing Pellegrini deeper where I think he's less effective that's where he played early in his career in the last couple of seasons he's been better in a more attack minded position and then what about uh, what about Zaniolo I don't know where he figures in that team either so I guess it's a good thing that Mourinho has options. This team is definitely stronger in terms of the, the individuals within the squad than it was last season, but still some things to work out. Taylor, what did you make of this one from the outset? It seemed like um, Juve certainly had the better of the first half. Is that fair yeah. to say? Yeah, I think you wouldn't be alone in saying that one. Uh, the two quotes I saw from Jose Mourinho, uh, when it was 1-0, he turned to his assistant and said, pray this ends 1-0. 1-0 at halftime would be a fantastic result. When asked what he had uh, said to his players at the interval, he said that I was ashamed of them. So that tells you maybe how things <laughs> went for Roma in that first 45. And I did think Juve sort of had a had a point to prove because their game uh, was it earlier midweek or earlier or last week uh, was was so poor so maligned uh, there was the the image that did the rounds of their midfield or lack thereof having no one centrally and so I think it was a point to prove this week that they could be dominant they could uh, bring out a strong midfield possess the ball take the game to Roma make Roma uncomfortable and I think Roma maybe were overwhelmed by the pressure, but also by that early goal. And I think those two things combined to just make them look really disjointed. I thought it ended up being a really entertaining first half, but also a very ugly first half at the same time. It felt sort of broken up, a lot of fouls, a lot of slowing down of play. I think part of that was because Roma kept getting caught in possession and then having to foul to make up for it. I thought the second half was really interesting once Jose Mourinho made some changes. And I think it's a credit to him that Roma ended up getting back into this one. But overall, I thought uh, a much better second half for them. And I thought Juve were, were pretty compelling, pretty convincing for the number of injuries, the number of players they did not have. For as strong as Roma have gotten or as much as they've added depth, Juve continue to have depth and have only added to it. 
yeah, there's been a lot of discussion about that Juventus midfield, Taylor, as you referenced there. And I thought this this match showed some progress in 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 that regard. Mm-hmm. So Paul Pogba is out at the moment. We should we should maybe mention that. Maybe he fixes some things when when he comes back in. But Allegri for this game, he went with Rabio. He went with Locatelli, and he handed a start to 19 year old Fabio Moretti, who he did play some games last season. But he's not a player I I was overly familiar with before this match. But I thought he was very good. Moretti and Locatelli worked very well together. They were taking it in turns to provide support to, to Vlavic, to, to drive the ball forward. And, and that meant because it wasn't both of them going at the same time, it, there was always one staying back with Rabi on it. And it meant there was just always two left in midfield to give Juventus that control that they definitely had in, in, in the first half. And it stopped Roma from, even in the moments of quick transition that they had, the opportunities, they just weren't able to, to yeah. penetrate Juventus at all. And I thought that was... A large part of that was down to the to Juventus's midfield structure. So the 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 dynamic shifted in the second half when Roma did make those changes, and maybe we should talk a little bit more about those. But until then, I thought Juventus it looked like they had a a functioning midfield, which is maybe the first time we've been able to say that this season. Yeah, and I think it was against Sampdoria uh, that Conte talked about. Or excuse me, not Conte. Allegri talked about uh, basically Locatelli stayed too deep, the midfield stepped too high, and there was this huge space in between. And in this game, especially in that first half, it did seem like the the midfield unit moved together really well. I thought Locatelli was a very good anchor, but when he did step, that backline also would move forward and. Uh, this was where Bremer, who I've talked about previously on this show, I'm increasingly a fan of his. I think he was sort of unleashed to be the one who made the play to step and win the ball, to kind of win anything in the air, and to just disrupt any Roma counter. And so I think between the midfield playing really well as a unit, and then Bremer having that license to step and win the ball, I just felt like it was a really disruptive first half for Juve uh, in breaking up anything that Roma were trying to do. I, I think they didn't have a shot on target, Roma, in that first half. Tammy Abraham, obviously very, very frustrated. Uh, but as we've already been sort of uh, building towards the changes that Jose Mourinho makes, I think the initial starting lineup and approach was geared towards what he had seen from Juve previously. I think he expected them to try to attack down the channels and to not have numbers in the middle and so he set up accordingly to kind of clog the channels but still have numbers central when that was obviously not what Juve were doing Roma I think pivot to basically mirror what Juve were doing and then find their way back into it I think with some good individual effort on top indeed uh, Bremer one of your picks for transfer of the season man, uh, I believe Taylor yeah. from episode last there week. might be a little um, bias here I might be I might be talking yeah. him up for that reason you never know we had some big, terrible, terrible, terrible shoes to fill, I suppose, in the back line for <laughs> Juventus. Um, I must admit, also, Graham, with Moretti, I thought I was quite reasonably impressed with him. I, it was one of those ones where I had to go on FopMob and say, Who, who's number 20? Because yeah. I don't know anything about soccer. I'll admit that here. Um, <laughs> Joe, uh, we saw um, <laughs> we saw Weston McKenney coming on as well. Did we have any yeah, we did. Uh, any thoughts on that? Well, we have thoughts on how great it is that he played 13 minutes. Now, I, okay, I'm, I feel like I have to lean into this bit. I don't know how extreme I really feel about a lot of this stuff, but I put down in the doc, you know, the, a note about McKenney, and, and Taylor responds and says, I think he might be about to get the patent-pending Pulisic bubble wrap treatment. Mm-hmm. And it, it does sort of feel that way. And Graham, you talked about this before when I mentioned McKenney. I thought playing really well. In playing in, a, in an actual central midfield role for Juve earlier this season, you talked about, you know, there's a bunch of players coming into this team. It's not a guarantee that he's getting playing time. And and I, I still feel really comfortable about him getting 15 minutes here, a start there, and just minimizing those chances for injuries while also staying sharp. 
Contrast that with, and we might talk just a bit about Barcelona later on, but Sergio Dest watching their most recent 4-0 win from yeah. uh, the stands with, with uh, street clothes on. That is, is maybe a little bit of a different story on the confidence scale and the lack of confidence scale. But McKenney getting 13 minutes here, a decent result for Juve. They're not going to be thrilled with getting a point at home, but still, I, I honestly don't think that's the worst thing in the world here. Juventus brought on uh, Dennis Zakaria in the second half and just for a split second I had kind of forgotten that he plays for Juventus and is just another I know McKenny and Zakaria are very different players I know they're both midfielders but they play that role very differently but nonetheless just in terms of building that unit and maybe only having three spots to go around you have Zakaria and now you have this 19 year old Fabio Moretti Pogba to come back, Paredes is perhaps signing for Juventus, Rabio is sticking around. From an American point of view, if you want McKenney to get game time, which Joe, I'm not sure that is what you want, but let's just say <laughs> for argument's sake that you do, this match wasn't particularly encouraging because even when no. he comes off the bench, Allegri switches to the to the to a midfield four and McKenney is predominantly out on the right, actually. Yeah. And this was after he was used on the left side by Allegri in the first game of the season against uh, Sassuolo. So I'm not overly convinced he's going to get a lot of game time in central midfield, his, his favoured position. Yeah, I'm not I'm not overly convinced about that either. And to be clear, my perspective on this changes 180 degrees on December, whatever it is, after the World Cup is over. So just keep that in the back of your mind, listeners, before you tweet a bunch of angry stuff at me. You've probably already done it, so it's fine. But McKenney's <laughs> versatility, Graham, that you're talking about there is a big reason why I actually think Juve's doing a lot to try to keep him around because he can pinch hit on the left or on the right or in central midfield or higher up the field. He can do so many different things, and we've seen that under multiple different managers at Juventus now, both Pirlo and Allegri. I think he fits that really versatile role, and that's not a great thing for him betting in as a regular starter on on, on maybe either side of a three-man midfield as a number eight, but it is a really great thing in terms of Juventus's desire to keep him around. It's an interesting sort of conflict that McKinney has to deal with going forward because he might not be the guy to get 90 minutes every single week after the World yeah. Cup playing in that midfield in an actual central midfield role. He's the Juventus John O'Shea. Dude, I, heard I, John O'Shea. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that John O'Shea liked uh, ranch on his pizza as well. <laughs> no, but Graham, I, I think there is, uh, the ranch comment aside, because hopefully not, uh, I do feel like there is a comparison there where McKinney has been very good for Juve at times, but I think never been at that level where he is just like the difference maker. You'll see some of those articles about how he has been the one that allowed the midfield to play they want, the way they wanted to, but he is not Paul Pogba. He is not that name. He's not Vlaovic, who's going to come in, sell those shirts, turn those heads. And I think also he seems to be such a, a team chemistry guy that I agree with Joe. I think they want him around because he's very versatile, seems... Basically okay to start, but also okay to be a sub, is aware of the caliber of talent he has around him. Maybe that changes as the season goes on, but I think right now he is basically John O'Shea. And I don't think that's the worst thing, because John O'Shea, still a known name, still got minutes, still played a variety of positions, was a key role player, and I think that's an okay spot for him to be for now. Like Joe said, maybe that changes post-World Cup. Wonderful stuff. Uh, Graham, any more on this game before we have a little look around the houses in Syria? Just, I was surprised by how much I would like Jose Mourinho to have another good team. It's been a long time since he's had a good team, and I'm not saying Roma are that team yet, but watching this game, 
I think when I watch most matches, there's I tend to have a team that I am subconsciously rooting for, and I became aware of this in the second half that I kind of wanted Roma to win, just for the chaos factor, and also just to see what Mourinho can do this season. So he's rehabilitated his uh, image enough for you to root for him, Graham. I mean, no rehab was required for me to root for someone in football. I was rooting for Richarlison at the weekend, and he's the biggest villain of them all. (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough. Well, uh, Roma weren't the most successful Roman team of the weekend. Uh, Lazio had a pretty big Friday night, a 3-1 win over Inter at the Olimpico. Uh, Felipe Anderson, Luis Alberto and Pedro with the goals. Graham, did you see Luis Alberto's goal for 2-1? It was a hit. I didn't, actually. I, for once, had plans on Friday night and letting the team down here. Don't did lie to us, see Graham. Goal? Don't lie to us. I Hang did. On. I went out for an alcoholic beverage at a real-life pub. You can do that at your house. Come on now. That's true. I can do that. L- listen, I, I, I don't know what to say. I, I, I don't know what's happened here. Graham didn't watch a game that was on TV. I'm, uh, <laughs> I think it was actually on in the TV in the pub. Uh, <laughs> that in the air Dundee game, which I did actually watch that game. That was 3-1, but I missed the Lazio Inter game. Okay, Sorry, guys. well, if you, uh, listener or Graham, indeed, uh, go back and watch that Luis Alberto goal. It was a cracker. Very good result for Lazio on Friday night. How about Milan-Bologna? Did you see any of that, Graham? The Ma- Milan went top of the league with that one for a little bit. Uh, Rabiot Leal <laughs> and Oli Giroud. How about that one, Graham? Huh? huh? Did you go I, out and have I social did. life? During that one? I did watch that one Sunday. Nothing happens on a, on a Sunday. And I watched this match largely because I wanted to see what all the fuss is about with uh, De Catalier. I think that's how you say it. I think I've nailed that one now. And I, I liked what I saw from him. He, he assisted Rafael Leao for the, the first goal. And then Leao assisted Giroud for, his, uh, for a very sexy volley to make it 2-0. I tell you what, Olivier Giroud is going to have one hell of a highlight reel when his career finishes because I'm pretty sure that he only scores sexy goals. And there was certainly one of those in this match. He does everything sexy. I think that's... Uh, He's a sexy man, yeah, let's face it. He is indeed. Yeah, Milan were top for a little bit with that one. Uh, Napoli climbed back above them, though, for now, with a nil-nil draw at Fiorentina this weekend. Let's park Syria. When we come back after this break, we're going to talk Bundesliga. We're going to talk about Bayern versus Gladbach and much, much more coming. We haven't forgotten you, Premier League. You're coming too. Back soon. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's turn our attention, everybody, to Bayern Munich 1. What is it, Gladbach? 1. Uh, if Bayern have a bogey team, I would suggest it is Gladbach. Uh, the last four meetings, uh, Gladbach have won two of them. This week, a draw as well in that one. In this one, we had Leroy Sane getting a late equaliser from a Muziala assist, we should add, after Marcus Tram seemed to catch uh, Upamecano sleeping, I believe, <laughs> on the back line there. Bayern stay... Unbe- Upamecano caught Upamecano sleeping, I think, is how that one played out. <laughs> 
And then Upamecano walked into the room and caught Upamecano catching Upamecano sleeping. (laughs) Have we just got Inception or something? What's happening right now? There is three of them confirmed. (laughs) Nagelsmann is actively trying to incept his players to make them better performers. (laughs) That is science fact. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you who was the best performer, Taylor, arguably of this entire game. Jan Sommer. It would have been about 20 goals to one without him, wouldn't it? Uh, yes, it absolutely would have been. I could not believe how good of a game he had. Uh, starting with uh, at, at uh, the coin toss, it was him as captain. It was Manuel Neuer at captain. I had to do some reading because Sommer is listed at six foot. Uh, Neuer is listed at six foot four. I think there's about a 30 pound weight difference. But the opening coin toss, and I did then Google, you can see photos of them. It has to be a taller a, a bigger size difference. I feel like Jan Sommer might be 5'10 or 5'11, which makes his performance all the more impressive because it wasn't just those sort of reaction saves close to him. He had some sprawling saves. He held the ball really well in traffic. Uh, an immense game from him and one where I really did start to think there's no chance Bayern Munich will score because if they yeah. haven't scored at this point, the goals that they had disallowed, uh, some of the shots that were saved had no business being saved. It felt for all the world like, nope, it's just not their day. This is going to be 1-0. And then eventually Leroy Sané finds a way to get that goal. And credit to Bayern that the immediate response was a very quick celebration. And then everyone sprinted back to restart play because they were aiming for that win, which I think, again, shows you that ruthlessness. But Jan Sommer was not about to give them all three points. I'm, Only the one point for Bayern Munich. I'm, not, I'm not sure uh, how sustainable it is for the opposition or for opposition teams to have their goalkeepers make a record-breaking numbers of sa- number of saves to get a result against Bayern Munich that might not be something that can be replicated very often. I'm no, here for it though, too. Graham. I- I'm really here for it. We yeah. spent a lot of time this season, this Bundesliga season already, as young as it is, talking about how dominant Bayern Munich had been because that is the dominating storyline around the Bundesliga right now. And this is just a phenomenal result for Gladbach and for the rest of the league. So Bayern's still on top of the league with 10 points, but Union Berlin on 10 points, Freiburg, Hoffenheim, and Dortmund all on nine. Somebody needed to take points off of Bayern Munich, and the fact that it took a Jan Sommer 19, Bundesliga record number of saves, 19 saves. The fact that it took that to do it is somewhat troubling, but yeah. that's a problem for us to worry about next weekend, not this weekend. <laughs> because for now, Ryan Bailey, I'm all about Jan Sommer and Borussia Mönchengladbach. Yes, there we have Union... We have Union Berlin against Bayern this weekend, right? P. Falk versus hey. Bayern. Watch out, baby. We'll see what happens. Jordan, Jordan P. Falk is, is going to save the Bundesliga. There, there were the stories during the rounds that uh, Premier League managers have been comparing notes because oh no one gosh, quite knows how to this. deal with Erling Haaland, which is unbelievable. I don't know. Ask anybody in the Bundesliga. I feel like they'll have some thoughts. But or watch uh, the game. Yeah. I do. I do love <laughs> the so idea angry. of ever. I love that everybody calling Gladbach to get their insight into how you draw Bayern Munich. And to Graham's point, it's like, all right, here's what you do. Uh, have your goalkeeper be unbeatable, but still somehow beatable on the day. Like, all right, that's that's the first box. And then have Bayern Munich basically be really frustrated for 95 minutes. That's the second box. And then you got it. Like, it is not really a thing that can be replicated particularly easily. So, again, credit to Gladbach and Summer. And and I want to add one more beat. I know we're talking about Jan Sommer for a while here, but it, it really does bear mentioning. So I want, to, I want to describe how much Bayern dominated this game. 33 shots to five total from Bayern to Gladbach. They took, Bayern Munich took 11 shots before Gladbach took their first shot. They had 2.8 expected goals total in this game to 0.49. That's according to FOTMOP. And then you go down and look, 69% possession to 31% possession. And there's this stat going around that Jan Sommer had saved Gladbach 3.3 
post-shot expected goals. So let me draw a quick comparison here. Maybe nobody cares about this, but I do, so I'm going to say it anyway. So expected goals come from where the shooter is taking the shot, and there's a number of other factors involved, but it's about the shot before it's actually connecting, before the ball connects with the shooter's foot and vice versa. Post-shot expected goals, which are also called like goalkeeper expected goals, are based off of where the shot's trajectory is taking the ball. So it's after the shot is taken, where is the ball going to be on the goal frame? If it misses the goal frame, you're not getting any post-shot expected goals value. If you're up in the upper 90, you're getting a really high number because it's, it's highly likely to go in. Jan Sommer saved Borussia Mönchengladbach. Ryan, you joked about 20. He saved on 3.3 post-shot expected goals, according to Opta, which is a massive amount. 19 saves, 3.3 post-shot expected goals. Just an unreal performance. And to do all of that... While you're, you're protecting a lead as well, there's an extra pressure that comes with that, right? About being able to take three points off of Bayern, and they don't actually end up doing that, as we've discussed in this 1-1 draw. But the fact that Jan Sommer held on for that long and saved Gladbach so many goals is endlessly impressive for me. Joe, uh, a quick question for me about that stat. I just want to make sure I understood that. So sure. uh, it's tracking basically once the shot is struck where it would theoretically have gone if it weren't saved. Is that about it? Correct. Basically? So it's like top yeah, so if Jan Sommer is invisible and the mm-hmm. shot's right down the middle and he doesn't save it, I mean, it's not going to have a very high post-shot expected goals value because you'd expect like a, a rec league goalkeeper to save that shot. This is We're very in the weeds here, but this is my question. Do they divide the goal up into... Like, like, how do they calculate that exactly? Because, you know, you've got, like, knuckle, you can have swerve, it can go in different areas. Sure. So is it just sort of, like, top corner, lower corner, like, middle, upper, middle, lower sort of thing? It is. I'm confident it's more specific than that. Taylor, I honestly do not know how they calculate these specific numbers. I think it is, you're going to get a lot more variation than just, like, eight zones would be able to provide you if you divide the goal up that way. So I'm guessing there are specific coordinates that, that correspond to different post-shot expected goals values, but now you've given me my research project for the afternoon. (laughs) Joe, let me follow up as well. Um, (laughs) You've painted a picture there, Joe, of Bayern dominance, which is completely fair. So let me ask you this. Lirasani gets the goal in the 83rd minute. He gets subbed off like a minute later for Matthias De Ligt, a centre-back. If they are that dominant and you're Bayern Munich at home with 75,000 people, why do you take off a forward for a centre-back when you could get another goal potentially? Is is Jan Sommer that intimidating? Well, I mean, I don't know that Jan Sommer is that intimidating, but at this point, Bayern had already brought on their two best attackers off the bench, right? They'd already brought on Musiala, who ends up getting the assist, and they also brought on Serge Gnabry, who comes in to play Sadio Mane's number nine role. So they already had those two guys on the field. There is another attacker, and there's also Ryan Gravenberg on the, on the bench as well. He doesn't feature, but really there aren't a ton of other options. So I don't mind putting an extra center back on, pushing Pavard up a little bit higher, and, and rocking with it that way, it's not like a game-breaking change. But man, if I'm Julian Nagelsmann, I've already made two game-breaking changes. Like, I shouldn't need anything more. Bayern didn't really need anything more at that point. So I, I'm not totally against the idea of providing a little extra defensive cover against Marcus Duram, who scored a, a really nice goal off of a defensive mistake from Bayern Munich earlier in this game. We already mentioned that. So I don't, I don't know that I'm in love with that substitution choice, Ryan, and it's an interesting one to highlight. But mm. man, with the amount of attacking quality and speed... Man, Bayern Munich speed is what catches me about this team every single time. When you look at how many just absolutely rapid players they have, Alfonso Davies, Leroy Sané, Sergio, uh, not Sergio, Serge Gnabry, Sadio Mane, and, and Kingsley Coman, there's so much pace in this team in the attack. Adding just a little bit of defensive cover to see out this game and to circulate possession, I don't think is the worst thing to do. Joe, Joe how did the, the other Joe, the one of the Scali variety, how did he play 
in this game because obviously a a match away to uh, Bayern against those yeah. wide forwards that they have, and I know he's been doing well this season for Gladbach, but that's kind of the toughest test you can face in German football, or se- or maybe even in European football. So how did how did he get on? I thought he was solid. I thought we saw a, a totally respectable performance from him in possession. He's relatively comfortable on the ball. He was helping and build up to the extent at which Gladbach could play through Bayern Munich's press as a unit, which was not every time, but they did have some success with that stuff. He was rotating into central midfield a lot, which has been a, a real fixture of, of Scali's game this season under Daniel Farca. He'll, he'll step inside and play in that right half space or even a little further into central midfield at times in possession. Gladbach didn't have a ton of possession in this game, so we didn't see a massive amount of that, but he was doing that stuff, which is good. I think he's comfortable in that role. And defensively, I thought he held up fairly well. You would expect a, a pretty much any fullback to be blown by multiple times in this game. And Scali was blown by multiple times in this game. But that's just the reality of playing Bayern Munich. I still have the concern about Joe Scali and his, his mobility in general. He's not like the best straight-line speed athlete in, in the U.S. pool, or certainly not in the Bundesliga either. He gets toasted by Sadio Mane in the 53rd minute. There's other moments that you think, ah, it's not ideal, but, man, it is impossible to defend perf- – okay, it is virtually impossible to right. defend perfectly against Bayern Munich, and I'm not even just making excuses for Joe Scali here. I thought on the whole he was decent in this game. In performances like this, get him a little closer to September, which I, I wouldn't be mad at all about seeing him with the U.S. in, in September. Yeah, and uh, to give uh, some further credit to Scali's performance, this is one where I think looking at the stats – doesn't give you the full picture because his passing numbers are not particularly good from this game. I think it's nine for 16. So he's about 56% long balls one for four. And that's the thing that I think is indicative of what he was being asked to do because he would get the ball out, out on the right as the right fullback tends to get. Um, and when Byron would have that that lateral press, if nothing was on, he had clearly been instructed, just get it down the line, go vertical. If we have somebody making that run, great. If Taram is able to get on the end of it, awesome. But if not, at least we don't get caught in possession. And I think he was sort of uh, basically given license to get rid if he needed to. And so I think at the same time, he still tries to complete passes. He still tries to be a connective player for some of those attacks and some of that possession limited as it was. So I think his numbers aren't great, but I think there are reasons for it. I saw him scrapping, fighting, having decent decent uh, uh, positioning, especially on set pieces, and not looking overwhelmed by the situation. And I think anytime you're playing this Bayern Munich team, it would be easy to be overwhelmed. So I, I was pretty pleased overall. Um, Scally, Graham, would you like to tell the audience what that means in Britain? I don't know what that means in Britain. Is that some sort of uh, yeah. London delicacy or something? It's, 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 a, it's a jelly deal, isn't it? That's what this is. Tater, tater got it there. Scallywag, miscreant, naughty boy. I like that. Talking like 1900s? Like 19th century slang? I got to stop saying 1900s because that could be like the 1990s. We just use more crude terms than that in Scotland. I'm sure you describe a scallywag, yeah. By the way, I need to say, young people listening... Uh, I saw someone refer to it as the late 20th century. Unacceptable. I will not allow that to to be a thing. If you refer to the 90s as the late 20th century, uh, I might throw hands. That's all I'm saying. All right, Dad Jeans. Get the back, back down. Yeah, back Joel, down. don't do that. Sorry, that's on me. Uh, one more, Taylor, one more question for me on this game. Um, Sadio Mane, who mm-hmm. got plenty of action in this oh, game, had a go. goal ruled out. Yeah. But two. Lots of... Yeah, two that's right. Out. Um, 
That's, that's right. But um, no chances converted, despite Mm-mm. having a lot of chances. Any yeah. concern there? I mean, he's not having a bad season. I'm not saying that. But no. in, in terms of the conversion here, is there an issue at all? I mean, I think I did enjoy that everyone seemed to have their this is why you need Robert Lewandowski takes just locked and loaded. And as soon as there was a game when they didn't score or score as easily as they normally do, all of those came out. That seemed to be a lot of the analysis. And uh, in my ongoing quest to get Cristiano Ronaldo out of Manchester United, he would make a lot of sense for Bayern Munich. I know they've ruled themselves out, but I think he would make sense as an impact sub because I think Sadio Mane still has such a good read on the attack already. The first goal that was disallowed, I'm assuming it's a deliberate ball from Thomas Muller to the back post uh, because Thomas Muller is that good. Any other player, I might think it was a fluke or he was aiming for somebody else. (laughs) But it's so well hit, but it's also... So close to being a perfect run from Sajamani to get that tap in and make it look easy. He is only offside, and that's why the goal was was chalked off for people who didn't see it, because Leroy Sané is checking back onside, trying to get into an onside position, and basically has to evade the ball so that he doesn't make any contact with it because he would have been off. But that does throw the defenders off a little bit, so then he is judged to be materially involved. But that is the only thing. Mane held his run perfectly, was there at the back post. Uh, the other one that he is offside for is is not nearly as close. He is definitely offside. But I think it's just little timing issues there. It's other players around him. Overall, I don't think Bayern fans should be that concerned by this one. But it was the sort of take that was waiting until they struggled. And so I'm not surprised that that has been one of the dominant storylines from this game. And I fueled the narrative, Taylor. That's what I've just done. Attaboy. Attaboy, right? Attaboy. Yep, yep, yep. yep. All right, let's take a quick look around the Bundesliga elsewhere. Dortmund got a win at Hertha Berlin, a 1-0 win. Anthony Modesto with his first goal for the club. Uh, Nice win for Dortmund after completely collapsing last weekend, as we recall that 3-2 loss to Bremen, where they were leading 2-0 in the 89th minute. Attaboy. RB Leipzig also getting a win, 2-0 over Wolfsburg. That's their first win of the season. Uh, Union Berlin are in second in the Bundesliga a 6-1 win at Schalke. Schalke with two draws and two losses so far in the Bundesliga. And uh, Eintracht Frankfurt with a 4-3 win at the aforementioned promoted Werder Bremen. Werder scoring in the 92nd minute in this one. They tried another comeback against Dortmund, uh, like they did against Dortmund last weekend. Didn't quite pull it off this weekend, though. So that just about wraps up the action in Germany. Let's take another quick break. And when we come back, we've got Premier League. We've got Liga. We've got MLS. We've got so much fun and games. Do stick around. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. 
Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Graham, the third part of the show. We've only just started to talk about the Premier League. What's becoming of us? I don't know, honestly. Very continental of us. I know, I know. Aren't we fancy? Well, let's uh, keep it fancy uh, with Liverpool 9. Liverpool 9, <laughs> Bournemouth nil, equaling the biggest win in Premier League history there. I'd say, Graham, that's a fairly decent response from Liverpool, would you? I think Liverpool are going to be okay. Remember when they were in crisis like five days ago and now they're putting nine goals past the team in a Premier League match. And uh, as the scoreline strongly suggests, this might be the, the most obvious statement of the whole podcast. They were very good in this game. Roberto Firmino had the, the best game I've seen him have for Liverpool for, for quite some time. He was doing that Firmino thing of finding space deep and liking everything together. And that that was kind of refreshing to see, given that we're all expecting Liverpool to move away from that approach this season now that they have Darwin Nunes, who, of course, was still suspended for this match. And it was a reminder of how good Firmino can be in that role. Not as good, though, were Bournemouth. Our Soccer 101 <laughs> podcast last week was about the strength of the Premier League. And it is true that the division is stronger than, than ever before this season. But I, I, I sense, I suspect Bournemouth might be the exception to that. It, it will take, in my opinion, it will take something remarkable for them to stay up this season. But what I will say is that Bournemouth have faced Man City, Arsenal, and Liverpool yeah. in their first four matches this season. Now they do have a much better run, and I think they need some solid points from that run. Yeah, there's they a, got them out of the way. There's a story uh, on my wife's side of her family. She has two older brothers, uh, and the oldest brother was once, like when they were kids, winding up like the hose as fast as he could after they'd been spraying it, and it like whipped around from the uh, like the rotating hose thing and hit him in the face. Uh, and the little brother who was standing next to him looked at the brother, saw the look on his face, and just held out his arm, like, just punch me in the arm, because he knew how mad he was, knew he was going <laughs> to take it out on him. Uh, it's become a joke. I'm not sure why. But uh, I'll draw that comparison to Scott Parker and Bournemouth, just like, please, Liverpool, like, just three, just three. Like, it's not our <laughs> fault that you started the season this way. It just felt like they absolutely, yeah. po like, weren't the ones who poked the bear, but suffered the consequences of the bear being poked. I have some sympathy for Bournemouth uh, after this weekend. I wonder at what point Scott Parker turned to his oh, assistant man. and was like, and how many players do we need to get sent off to forfeit this 3-0? <laughs> Hang on. Okay. It, it was Four players. Graham, we, we covered on a show last week that it was Scott Parker's assistant, I believe, who invented that TikTok oh, kickoff. Right. So why did, they had nine chances to do it. Why didn't they do it? <laughs> I forgot that was the Bournemouth <laughs> assistant. Yeah, this was the perfect match to try this out, particularly against Liverpool's high line, and we saw nothing. Yeah. That assistant is selling all his secrets to TikTok. Apparently <laughs> it really so, yeah. would be... Like, if it's already 7-0 at that point, if you forfeit, it defaults to a 3-0 win, or a 3-0 loss, right? So goal difference at least, maybe that makes the difference in a relegation battle at the end of the season. You never know. You never know. Feels mildly controversial if they what? were to execute that one, though, Taylor, I'd suggest. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the journalist, uh, Shaman Hafez, he put a tweet up. He said he was at the game. Um, he asked Scott Parker if a 9-0 loss versus Liverpool will be the lowest point in this season. Oh, Scott Parker's yeah. quote, at this moment in time, where we currently are, I can see some more, to be honest with you. Oh, oh no. <laughs> That's not what you want to hear. It's not what you want to hear. It's not what you want to hear at all. Uh, Graham, uh, quiz time. Uh, three other 9-0s in the Premier League. Can you name... The teams involved? Oh, um, surely one of them's got to be about Southampton. Yeah. Did Man United not beat Southampton 9-0? That's, that's one of them, 2019. And uh, Man United beat either Ips, was it Ipswich 9-0 back in the 90s? 9-1 over Notts County, oh. I think. Was it also Leicester over Southampton? 
There was a Southampton Leicester and it was Man United Ipswich, 9 0 1995. So back in the late 20th century, is that when that one was? <laughs> Very good, Joseph. Very so good. So did I get those both right? Yeah. Yes, you did. <laughs> oh, I'm pleased with myself. Yeah, well done. Joe, please believe yourself too. That was a good reference. Um, <laughs> Um, most Salah owners in Fantasy League not so pleased with themselves in this That's one. That's me, baby. Scoring nine goals and him not getting one of them, I'd suggest, is uh, yeah. unreal. Yeah. yeah. I saw somebody in our Fantasy League uh, had Erling Holland, I think, and triple captained him, and he got something like 70 points from one player. That seems fair. Wow. That seems fair. That's more so- than my whole team had, so things are going well for the I Am Taylor Rockwell squad. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, fruit pies greater than meat, pre- meat pies has moved into 11th in the table. That's all Nice. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Wow, you're 11th. Wow. Uh, join our fantasy league. We'll put a code in the, uh, in, the link, in the show description, listener, if you haven't already. Why don't we talk about Erling Haaland, though? Man City 4, Crystal Palace 2. Here's oh. me tweeting after Palace went 2-0 up in this game. You know, the Man, they're, they're Man <laughs> City's kryptonite. They always beat Man City. They, they did beat uh, Man City at the Etihad last season, of course, and they do tend to do well against them. But then Graham, Erling Haaland uh, put the Jets on for a little bit, didn't he? He did. So first of all, let's give some praise to Crystal Palace because, as you mentioned, they have a good record against City. They beat them at the Etihad last season. And the performance from Palace for much of the first half was pretty much as perfect as you can expect away to Manchester City. They, they, they caused some problems from set pieces where they obviously scored, uh, scored a goal. They were organised, they knew when to press and when not to press. They they did reasonably well of controlling possession when they had to, and there was a sense of frustration at the Etihad for a period. Um, and then Erling Haaland happened. It kind of took a little bit of individual um, brilliance, I guess, from Bernardo Silva to, to break the game open. It didn't feel like all that much was happening for for City until that that point. He kind of dribbles past a couple players and, and then his shot is deflected into the goal so a bit of a bit of brilliance and a bit of luck to get City going in this game but then once Erling Haaland uh, as you say put the Jets on there was just absolutely no stopping him at all and when you have so much possession as City did in the second half and you have a striker like Haaland there's there's a good chance that you will concede four goals in that half as Palace did despite the fact that they played well for periods of this match and Taylor you got your opposition defender versus brick wall moment for Haaland's yep. hat-trick goal <laughs> when Joe Ward a big guy in his own right just bounced off Haaland as as he finished that that chance it's just it's just not fair and yet, Rodri came out and said about Holland, we have him as a reference who doesn't move much. He needs yes. to adapt. His natural talent makes the difference, but he needs to do better at being involved in the game. When to come, drop, go to space. It's normal. We've just been together for one month. Did- uh, I guess Rodri not pleased. High high standard for Rodri, yeah. uh, for his uh, Man City it's, teammates. That's Did unbelievable. Pep just Venmo Rodri 100 right? bucks and say, <laughs> yeah. hey, say this about Holland because I'm tired of saying it? You've yes. got to do this one. <laughs> I'm just picturing um, Haaland showing up at training the next morning, having read that quote and looking at Rodri going, I'll I'll show you some movement today if you want to see some. Just the just like really, really uh stealing the the Drago Rocky Four clip of just I will break you or I must break you to Rodri in training. I could see uh Haaland dropping that one. Indeed. How about Southampton Man United? Man United getting Three points once again. Fancy that. Bruno Fernandes with the goal here, uh, ending a run of seven straight Premier League away losses for Man United. Wow. Uh, grinding that one out, Taylor. I didn't uh, I didn't realise that stat about the away losses, but wow. We're winning the World Cup. Sure. Yeah, you are. 
Uh, Joe, any thoughts on that one? Yeah, no, sorry, I'm thinking about the Man United Chicago Fire World Cup final, baby. Getting yeah. jazzed about that. Oh, um, okay, you're playing a half for both. <laughs> <laughs> a few. A few thoughts here. Man United need to burn all of these jerseys because they are awful. And I know mm-hmm. I talked about that last time they wore them, but they are still awful. That did not change. Um, the gross green-yellow combo is is not good. Really good goal in the second half. Speaking of something that is good, I think we're starting to see, and, and we didn't see all of it given that Southampton pressed Manchester United into oblivion at times in this game. And the passing accuracy numbers were low as the, as the game wore on for Manchester United. But we saw some nice fluidity in possession from Manchester United in the build-up to their goal in the second half. It's a, it's a goal from Bruno Fernandes in the 55th minute, but there's uh, Diego Dallo rotating inside into the half space. El, uh, Lenga moving wide, Sancho drifting over from left into sort of the center of the field. And then it ends with Bruno crash, crashing excuse me, at the weak side. And it's, it's a really nice sequence. I thought that was a, a fun building block, a great three points from Manchester United. And, and one other interesting note, and Graham, I'll, I'll turn this to you because I know you wrote this in the doc, but I, I noted it as well. Harry Maguire on the bench, and you have Bruno Fernandes as the captain in this game. And with Maguire on the bench, that means I think we got Manchester United's two best center backs playing this game at the same time, and Lissandro Martinez and Rafael Varane, or at least the two best center backs for how Eric Ten Hag wants to play. And that, to me, combined with the three points, combined with the goal, it equates to a pretty promising or at least functional and slightly encouraging performance for Manchester yeah. United. Yeah, that, that centre-back partnership between Martinez and, and Varane, is, I think it's shown some real promise. Ten Hag was always, he was always going to have to move through different areas of the team and settle on solutions one at a time, with logically. And it, and it feels like with a defence, he he's very much focused on that centre-back partnership. I still think my United have... A lot of issues in central midfield. Casemiro comes on for his debut, but doesn't start this match. I think he will probably start against Leicester on, on Thursday night, and then there's Arsenal at the weekend. So you you think he would be integrating into that team by that time? That time, but the midfield was still not very press resistant, a bit too slow to move the ball. So there's still issues there. But that you're right, Joe. That that centre back partnership. It feels like barring injury, which I guess is a possibility for Varane given his record, it doesn't feel like they're going to get shifted anytime soon. Uh, Chelsea 2, Leicester 1. Raheem Sterling with a brace making the different series first goals for Chelsea. Conor Gallagher getting two yellow cards mm. in this one with Tommy Tuchel up in the stands for this one too. Uh, Joe, um, Chelsea have Sterling, but Leicester still haven't spent any. Yeah. Oh, well you done, like Ryan. You like a, a good performance. A, a good performance from Chelsea to get these two goals and to win this thing 2-1 after being down a man for 60 minutes, which is not something you see all that often. Just a, a really foolish set of yellow cards from Conor Gallagher to especially the second one to to make that challenge knowing that that you're already on a yellow is a difficult move but a big win for Chelsea after dropping points each of the last two weeks for Leicester they have one point through four games and to your point Ryan you know haven't spent right they they had 60 minutes a man up and could not get a result in this game Harvey Barnes gets a goal to make it 2-1 in the second half but but they never mounted enough there were some chances sure and I like some of what Leicester are doing right now, but they need results to start coming sooner sooner rather than later before they get buried at the bottom of the table. They're in 20th right now. That's got to change. There's plenty of time for it to change, but some moves certainly would help move the needle a little bit for Leicester City. Yeah, I did a little bit of, of digging because I'm 
very confused. We talked about this last week. I was trying to figure out who the lowest spending team in the Premier League was because all the other 19 are in the top 50. It's Leicester because they've spent nothing. Uh, so looking it up, I think there's a few factors, starting with the Sri Vadhanaprabha uh, family. Ooh, I might have butchered that one. I apologize. Their wealth has dropped considerably. I think it was $5.2 billion in 2018. It's now dropped under $2 billion uh, currently, which Personal to paraphrase Mark Yeah, I was going to say, to paraphrase Mark Cuban, they're paupers now. Uh, that, that Only having the $2 billion <laughs> left over. Uh, but at, this is at a time when revenues at the club are falling dramatically. Uh, that same report had it dropping from $2.67 billion to $907 million between 2019 and 2020. Again, COVID playing a huge part in that one. This is all while their wage bill has reached a record of £192 million this season. That's the highest wage-to-income ratio in the league. You would assume that has changed a little bit as they sold some of their players. But it's why, say, Yuri Tielemans hasn't yet been moved on, uh, which I think Leicester fans are okay with. They would like him to still be there, but his wages have made him less desirable for certain clubs. And on top of all of this, uh, there is the situation... For the Srivanaharaprabha, Oof, I butchered that one. Srivanaharaprabha uh, <laughs> family back home, where Thailand's king, uh, uh, has, who it's illegal to criticize, I should add, in Thailand, uh, has appropriated national wealth into his own private fund. Uh, basically, the wealth is supposed to be there for the king to make decisions, but he has decided he is the king, so he can have that wealth. Uh, this is while the Thai economy is shrinking, so I think there's just less money on offer, and Lester essentially have to make some sales before they can sign any players the question is will they be able to get that business done in time and the names they're being linked with are players that are available for much cheaper than the players they're selling on so i think lester could make some signings could get a bounce uh but not the strongest of times for them that said my prediction for that game against man united is that they will either lose that game in emphatic fashion like five nil or they will beat manchester united it will be one or the other that's how it's gonna go yeah premier league be crazy this season taylor so Either one of those. Flip a coin. Srivadhana Prabha. Now that I don't have to say it on the spot, I can say it easily. Srivadhana Prabha. I don't know what's wrong with me. They've only got two Bs. Whatever. Whatever. How are they going to get by in this economy? Uh, Brentford won. Everton won. Substitute Vitaly Janel getting the equaliser late for Brentford, uh, denying Everton their first win of the season. Anthony Gordon with his last game and goal for Everton. Who knows? Um, Brighton won. Leeds nil. Gross with the goal there. Uh, Brighton setting a new club record of nine consecutive top flight matches without defeat. Jolly good to them. Um, Interesting narrative coming out of Arsenal 2, Fulham 1. A comeback win for Arsenal here with Odegaard and Gabriel getting the goals and Gabriel causing the uh, Fulham goal, (laughs) arguably as well. Um, Graham, the headline from the BBC I read after this game, Mikel Arteta turning Gunners into contenders. Uh, title contenders, I should say, um, citing the shift in mentality. Did they not watch Man City play the day before? (laughs) I certainly wouldn't go that far yet, but I would say that there's a different feeling around Arsenal this season. Arteta, for this match, he had to make some changes to his team for the first time this season because Thomas Partey and Zinchenko were, were missing with minor injuries. So, That could have disrupted things. One of the criticisms of Arsenal last season was that they performed well when everyone was in their their strongest 11 and was was available for that strongest 11, I should say. But it, it fell apart a bit when Arteta had to rotate that team. And so there's a positive in that that didn't happen here. Although Fulham certainly gave... Arsenal a a real test they didn't offer a a, a huge deal in the attacking third until Gabriel made that mistake that you referenced there Ryan and and Mitrovic scored his uh, his fourth 
goal of the season. Mm. Uh, keep in mind, there was a, a narrative around him that he couldn't do it in, in the Premier League. He's so prolific at championship level, but he's certainly delivering in the Premier League this season. But Arsenal, they were behind for just eight minutes. Odegaard gets the equaliser and then Gabriel scores the winner. And and, and look, Arsenal have had a, a favourable start to the season in terms of fixtures. But as I say, there's a different feeling. I think we'll know a little bit more about them after this weekend's game against Manchester United at Old Trafford. And to give you a statistic, this was, this match was the first time that Arsenal have won a Premier League game after conceding the first goal in the second half, if you're fo- still following, the first goal in the second half since December 2013. They hadn't pulled that off. So I think that's just another sign that the spirit around this team is pretty strong at, th- at the moment. And I certainly wouldn't rule them out for top four let's see how they go with a title challenge there we go mentality monsters uh aston villa nil west ham won west ham's first win of the season here and villa's third loss of the season uh wolves won newcastle won nevesh and sam maximum getting the goals both goals pretty amazing by the way sam maximum's volley was fantastic in this one particularly and both goals i noticed pretty much hit from the exact same spot on the field which is pretty cool um newcastle win there Saudi coloured third choice kits. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, Nottingham Forest nil, Tottenham two. Harry Kane with a brace there. Kane also missing a penalty or having it saved, I should say. Not a bad Forest performance this one, but Richarlison stealing the headlines, yeah, Taylor. Maybe. But yeah, <laughs> getting wiped out for doing some keep ups, uh, which once again I'll say I don't have a problem with because it's time wasting, like, um, you know, keeping the ball in the corner flag is. And you can call it disrespectful, but also yeah. bear in mind we are here to be entertained by this game. I, I don't have a problem with it at all, but if I was that Nottingham Forest player, I would still wipe him out. That's my <laughs> stance on it. I'm not. I'm still not even sure it was that deliberate. I forget the player who it was who took him out, but like I remember like Nani a few few years ago for Manchester United, like juggling on his head like a seal, and then he gets cleared out while he's still <laughs> doing that. Like that to me is when you're fully showboating and deserve to be destroyed. And that one, Richarlison does a few little juggles, then drops it down and lays it off, and then basically the player for Forrest steps in to win the ball, has a heavy touch, and then continues on and takes out Richarlison. So I'm sure there's some... Uh, deliberate action there, but at the same time, like Richarlison had already passed the ball, so it wasn't as though he was just sitting there like, come and get me, and then they cleared him out, which I think still would have been hilarious to your point, Ryan, it is just time-wasting. But I don't have much of a problem with it, even if Jamie Carragher thinks it's a disgrace and the scourge of the modern game and whatever else he was yelling about. Yeah, that's okay. We can can work with that. That's all right. Jamie Carragher was the most offended man in the world, apparently, this weekend because of that action happening. Anywho, let's go to La Liga. On Sunday night, Barcelona beat Real Valladolid 4-0. Valladolid's president, Ronaldo, was in the house for this one. A pretty easy win. Uh, Barcelona dictating the pace in this one. Um, Lewandowski got a brace in this one, Graham. Um, One of which was a backheel nutmeg, maybe a slight deflection, but we'll call that the Alessio Russo tribute, shall we? Oh yeah, it was a good tribute as well. The the replays don't really make clear how big the deflection is. There is a tiny touch and I'm not sure whether that is the thing that actually sends it into the back of the net. I'm also not sure of his intention, whether he's going for the goal or whether he's trying to cut it back for a teammate in the middle. But nonetheless, it was a, a very enjoyable goal and I thought this was a very enjoyable performance by Barcelona, their best performance of the season so far. Obviously, they've only played three games so far, but nonetheless, they were they were very good. They had control. They looked dangerous throughout. Uh, that was reflected, obviously, in the final scoreline. Lewandowski scores twice. I think you can see what he brings to this Barcelona 
team quite simply he gets on the end of cross uh, on the end of crosses and, and passes inside the box and Barcelona certainly play a lot of passes inside the box the, the cross for Rafinha for Lewandowski's first goal was just sensational mm. the, the right in an area where the defenders couldn't do anything about it and Lewandowski's just at the back post there as well and I thought another player that was very good was on the other wing Dembele um, he played on the left Rafinha on the right although there was some switching uh, throughout the match and it just feels like Dembele is finally becoming the player that Barcelona bought him to be. He gets two assists in this match. No player has assisted more times in 2022 in Europe's big five leagues than Dembele. So that kind of shows you just how important he's becoming to Barcelona. Indeed. Uh, Jules Koundé uh, featuring in this one as well, being registered. Maybe, Joe, that's why Sergio Dest was in street clothes. It's one in, one out like a busy nightclub. That's right. Yeah, only only one. I, yeah, I got nothing, I got nothing on that. <laughs> Very but good. Jules Koundé did play. Barcelona are just my favorite team to watch in Europe right now. They're not a perfect team. There are some issues, but man, this team can be dominant. They were dominant over the weekend. They have the best number nine in the world, dynamic young central midfielders at, at the two eight spots, some new defensive personnel. We just mentioned Jules Conde, and then you have incredible performances coming from the wingers too. I thought were just electric. Like they, they look like they're playing. I don't know if I'm the only one who listens to podcasts on 1.25 or 1.5 or even you know times two speed because I'm a psychopath. They look like they're what? playing at 1.25 or 1.5 speed relative to everyone else. They play so incredibly quickly. They're they're brilliant to watch. Both Mbele and Rafinha I thought were lovely to watch over the weekend. This team is is incredibly fun. And listener, if you haven't watched them yet this year. I would try to carve out a couple hours every weekend to do so because they're they're really fun. Yeah. It's fun to watch on ESPN, Joe, as well, because then you get Raul Garcia speaking for about three hours afterwards. They make it they just keep asking him questions afterwards on that ESPN Good. coverage. Very fun Good. indeed. Who the real question though is who punched uh, Juan Laporta? Yeah. He had a shiner, didn't he, Graham? In the stands, standing next to Ronaldo. Um I'm not going to make any uh, suppositions that the fire truck of lawyers will have to come and talk about, but, uh, you know. <laughs> it was Frankie de Jong, wasn't yeah, it? it was let's just, yeah, Let's just admit let's it. Let's just say that. Uh, Espanyol won, Real Madrid three, Real Madrid top of the table, uh, they, where they are accustomed to being, of course, Benzema with two goals, the 88th minute and the 100th minute here. Uh, still got their 100% record, have Real Madrid. Did you catch this one, Graham? I did. I thought this was one of the best games of of the weekend because it finished in the hundredth minute. This actually finished after uh, af- way after midnight in in Spain. Uh, the final scoreline here doesn't quite reflect how hard Real Madrid had to fight for the win because until the eighty eighth eighty eighth minute, when Benzema volleys home a, a, a sensational Rodrigo cross, it was a weekend for really good crosses in La Liga. Um, he gets another goal in stoppage time, as you say, but until that moment. Espanyol had fought for everything in this game and it felt like they were going to take a point out of it, particularly in the second half. It just felt like Real Madrid maybe weren't completely up for the fight, but I think that's where Camavinga and, and Chiumeni made major contributions. Chiumeni, he plays the pass from which Vinicius scores the opener and then Camavinga comes off the bench in the second half. And there were at least three instances where he's carrying the ball 40 yards and opposition players are essentially hanging on to him and, <laughs> and falling off him uh, like uh, people hanging on to like, I don't know, like a speeding car or something. And uh, he was he was just very important at kind of taking the, not so much control, but just adding a bit of physicality to that Real Madrid, Real Madrid team when they needed it. It feels like both of those players at the moment are becoming important for Real Madrid. Indeed. Joe Lowry's MLS corner trademark. Um, Gareth Bale's first start for LAFC didn't go too hot, Joe, and Philadelphia keep doing those 6-0 wins. Tell us about it. Yeah, so let's start with Philadelphia. 
they are making a real push for not just one trophy, but maybe even multiple trophies this year. They're still in the Supporter Shield hunt because of, or at least in part, because of LAFC's drop-off, and I'll talk about them in just a minute. But the Union are are breaking records in Major League Soccer. They've had more six-goal wins, so at least six goals or more, than any team in MLS history. This is according to Opta. And, and it gets better, though, here. All four of those wins, they have four of them, have come in the last ten games. That is bonkers. They have been dropping six or seven goals on everybody. So this started... Back on Friday, July 8th, with a 7-0 win over DC United. Oh, haha, okay, they, they do it once, that's great. Then they come out and beat Houston 6-0 on July 30th. Then they come out a few games later and beat Chicago 4-1, which is not in this category, but still an impressive win. Then Saturday, August 20th, and we talked about this last week, they beat DC United 6-0, so better for DC, but you know, still a dominant win for Philly. And then they come out and beat Colorado at home 6-0 on Saturday. This team is playing some ridiculously good soccer right now. Now, part of this is none of those four teams I mentioned, five if you want to rope Chicago in, are very good. None of them are likely to make the playoffs. That is a factor here. But it is also true that the Union's attacking numbers, you go through and look, and I did a bunch of this for Backhield. Uh, so you go, you're going to look or you want to read what I wrote, and the Union are, are just a different team than they were before. Again, part of that is opposition, but they're doing some sustainable things, I think, in the attack as well. Their passing accuracy is a lot better than it was at the beginning of the year. Jack McGlynn adds some stability in midfield. Alejandro Bedoya is dropping deeper on the right side. They're getting production on set pieces. Add all of those things to being one of the best defensive teams that MLS has seen ever, and you have a, a genuine trophy contender. So the Union are playing some ridiculously good soccer. Again, I, I wrote some stuff about this, so feel free to read that. On the other side, the top of the other conference, so we talked about the top of the East, the top of the West, LAFC lose 4-1 to Austin FC over the weekend and just kind of got trucked by Austin. I mentioned Austin as a team of destiny recently <laughs> in MLS, and it's it's really starting to feel that way with how they're playing right now. They weren't... Like, they weren't flawless in this game, Austin. They took advantage, though, of LAFC's mistakes, and there were far too many mistakes from LAFC in this game, which was also everything you could want from a soccer game. So much credit to Austin. Really strong performance. There was a flare-up in the 38th minute. Jesus Murillo shoulders uh, Oruti out of bounds. Oruti comes over and, and touches Murillo, and he falls over and dives. And Maxime Crapo comes. It's, it's a whole thing. Go back and watch it. It's a nice little scrum. Bunch of yellow cards. Crowd was really into this game. And to go back to Austin, they took advantage of LAFC's mistakes. LAFC didn't have Ilié in midfield, and you could tell they missed his controlling presence. Uh, Latif Blessing, Kalen Acosta weren't great in midfield, in my opinion. They, they had far too many turnovers. There's a brutal sequence in the first half where Acosta loses it. LAFC counterpress and win it back. Latif Blessing charges forward into the final third. LAFC have good numbers in that space, and he just doesn't release the ball and gets picked. his pocket gets picked from behind. Big issues in that way for LAFC, who I think are still probably the best team in MLS. But between that and some of the questions around Gareth Bale and Carlos Vela starting together and how you make that work, it is not the easiest puzzle to sort of put together if you're, if you're uh, Steve Chirondolo right now. But either way, credit to Josh Wolf and Austin for jumping out ahead early, not relinquishing that lead. Just a really impressive performance from them as we head into the final stretch of the regular season. Wonderful stuff. Thank you very much, Joe Lowry. One more bit of business I think we should cover in France. El Cachico, as it certainly used to be called. PSG 1, Monaco 1. Uh, Graham, Monaco have had a pretty decent record against PSG in recent head-to-heads. Uh, I can't say I was expecting this one to end honours even though Kevin Volland having the opener cancelled out by a Neymar penalty in this one. I caught most of the second half of this one. Uh, seemed like Monaco were good for it. 
Yeah, I was I was very surprised by what I saw from from Monaco in, in the first half. I'd I'd read some stuff on how they just haven't been playing that well at all this season. So that's why I was surprised. They were proactive. They they looked to close down PSG whenever they could. As you say, uh, Kevin Volland scores the goal for them. He he gets in behind fairly easily and finishes well. And it's the first time we've seen PSG given a, a real test in Ligue 1 this season. It was slightly different to the Bayern Munich game, obviously. The uh, the other farmers league in Europe, if I can call it that, uh, they where they drop uh, they drop points this weekend. But it felt like Bayern were very dominant in that game. Monaco uh, kind of gave as good as they got in this match. They did ride their luck at times, like when Messi hit the post and then Mbappe hit the other post from the rebound. But uh, Neymar scores the equaliser from the penalty spot. He he could have been he could actually have been sent off in in the first half. Mm. So maybe a a bit of luck for PSG there as as well. Well, it was an entertaining match and I thought Monaco deserved something from it. Yeah, Neymar was some petty off-the-ball shoving, wasn't it, in the first half? It's not like him. Yeah, so out of character. Out of character. Indeed, indeed. All right, that just about wraps up our weekend review, I think. Taylor Rockwell, thank you so much for joining us this weekend. We'll let you retire back to your treehouse, I think. <laughs> I have made it sound like I now live in a treehouse. I do have an actual home. The treehouse is just more fun. And hopefully your recording studio will be set up there post-haste. Yeah, exactly. Everything's going up, up up under the tree. I'm going to live a totally normal life and not at all become a hermit. Excellent stuff. Uh, Speaking of becoming a hermit, Graham Ruffin, thank you very much yep. for getting out and going and having an alcoholic <laughs> drink this weekend. Thank you, uh, Ryan Billy. That's my alcoholic beverage for 2022. Wonderful. Ticked off. So there won't be another one. I won't miss that Lazio Inter match next time. <laughs> Good stuff. I'm still waiting for my beverage. I'll let you know when it happens, Graham. Uh, Joe Lowry, thank you very much. Uh, pleasure as always. Right back at you, Ryan. And listener, thank you again for joining us on this here weekend review. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye. Bye.